I think this is a really fun topic and I enjoyed talking with other researchers uh, about this question of how they got into what they're doing. And more so, I think it's also, I think it's really important to understand what motivates people still. So if you get to know why it is that people got to do what they're doing now, it helps you understand what's still important to them and where their science is headed. As for me, so when I was in about fourth grade, I wanted to be an architect. And I spent all this time doing floor plans and drawing things. And the only thing that got in the way of me and that dream coming true was I don't have a shred of artistic talent, unfortunately. And so that dream died somewhere along the way. But really, um, you know, you can look at that one of two ways. One, one way is, so when you're in fourth grade, 10 years old, you don't really know what you're going to do with the rest of your life anyway. But I look at it a little differently. I think that what appealed to me about being an architect at 10 was the idea of building and developing and creating things for other people that they really valued. You know, people value their home. They value the buildings they work in. And I think that's really appealing. Um, and still it appeals to me now. The idea of building tools, developing new things, bringing them into the world or making them more practical in a way that people value to do important things, to do new science, to potentially develop cures and treatments for diseases, that's really appealing to me fundamentally. So in some ways, I think DBC is an architecture firm. You know, we build new things for people and we help bring them to the market. The only direct remnant, of course, of my original dream to be an architect is my hat that I break out, mostly in private once in a while. Um, but there you go. Carrie talks about two things really loud and clear here. One is her interest in learning and memory. And that started really from a really early age, and it's something that she really does uh, still to this day. And so learning, you know, that's a complicated behavior, a complicated thing, and it's hard to describe, and it's hard to study from sort of a fundamental point of view. And so this is a challenging problem that she's taken on. A second aspect of this is she talks about behavior and uh, the importance of having awake and behaving animals. She talks about, you know, as a kid liking to observe animals in nature. This is still something she's doing with primates, with non-human primates. And so behavior, if you think about what learning is, it implies sort of exploring in the environment and being interacting with the environment. Again, which makes your experimental paradigms really complicated. So I have a lot of teachers in my family and I was uh, just intrigued by why people are able to learn what they learn, why some people seem smarter at some things and, and uh, not so smart at others. What I ended up needing to learn was what disciplines actually feed into that. So when I was a high school student, I thought that cognitive science was learning all about the wetware of the brain. And so I actually did my undergrad degree. One of my majors was cognitive science, where I pieced together uh, some of the neuroscience programming. Um, so yes, I've been interested in the brain and how it is we learn from a long, uh, from a long time, for a long time. And I think how that developed over time as I got to learn more about neuroscience is I became increasingly intrigued by the computation that cells, little pieces of biology can actually manage that give rise to thought, to cognition. And I still think that's fascinating. So I, I'm increasingly kind of drawn to understanding what the neural computations are uh, that give rise to learning, thinking, adaptive behaviors.
but I've also always been interested in behavior. I love going outside and watching creatures in nature doing interesting things. I like watching Nature Channel. Um, I am uh, horrified at how we can be our own worst enemy, how the human mind can create its own problems. And we don't have great solutions to that horrific problem. And so that whole suite of, of, of behaviors and complex behaviors is too interesting to give up. And yet, I also don't want to give up on the neural computation piece. And so you're right that there is there, there are compromises that at trying to find the intersection between those two. Uh, but as time goes by, we keep whittling away at the limiting factors. One of the things that really strikes me about Adrian is he really didn't start out here. He really started with an interest in AI and machine learning and realized that in some ways the best path to those answers was through experimental neuroscience. There's a big component of data analysis and analytics here that really motivates him and gets him excited. And the fact that he spends his time now in the lab gathering data about place cells and you know navigation circuits and rodents doesn't mean that he's not super interested in developing higher level tools and analytics also on top of that. And so I think that's a really important motivation to understand, not just with Adrian, but with a lot of people like him out there that see this circuit level system neuroscience as a means to an end to get at some higher level of levels of abstraction. As usual, you know, enough I think it's interesting to look backward. Nothing was absolutely planned. Um, I, I, and I, my undergrads were in physics and chemistry. And uh, for some reason, I got really interested in, in AI and, and machine learning. And, um, and I started a master thesis, you know, in, in a lab doing uh, some kind of AI, but like bio-inspired uh, AI. And I, I thought it was like super interesting. And they were actually studying navigation in robots. And they were like, well, perhaps we should put together like models of the brain with the hippocampus, play cells, head erection cells, and trying to see whether we can um, build autonomous uh, agents like robots uh, that will explore the environment. And this is how you know, I started to actually get interested in this field. However, I, I got quickly frustrated uh, because I, I could I, I was reading all these papers you know from Bruce McNaughton or Yuri Bujaki and um, and I was like well we're like we're lagging behind you know they're doing the the, the, the interesting stuff like they're like really asking the question of how it works we're just trying to replicate some of, the, of, of these results in silico and I was like but we're not discovering anything and um, as it turns out like there was a, a former postdoc from Bruce McDonald who was starting his lab in Paris, uh, Francesco Battaglia. And I actually sent him an email for a meeting and say, well, I want to see what you're doing. You know, uh, like, what is it, uh, an electrophysiological lab? And he said, oh, sure, you're welcome. And uh, I can tell you this story uh, because I will never forget that day. Um, I, I show up at, at their lab and I entered the room, which was all like the, where, where animals were recorded. And, and the first thing he, he, he told me, say, be quiet, there's an animal sleeping. It's like, okay, I had never seen a rat in my life, you know? Uh, and I was like, I entered the room and, uh, and there are two flat screens 
filled with waves moving in all direction. And, and I, I was like, what is this? And he started to actually explain me what was going on. It was like, oh yeah, these are spindles wave. This is a shock wave ripple. I couldn't understand a word of what he was saying, right? He was describing me all these waves going on in the cortex and the hippocampus. And I was like, I was, I was, uh, you know, it blew my mind. I was like, my God, this is amazing. And this rat was sleeping, you know, in the tent right behind me. And I remember the feeling when I like look at the screen and say, this is what I'm going to do with my, um, with my life. And, uh, and actually what, what, you know, it turned out that I actually started my PhD with, uh, with Francesco and, and we started to, to study replay and reactivation in the cortex, how it relates to learning and how it's coordinated with hippocampus. So that was my PhD. Then I actually did a, a, a short P, uh, postdoc with, um, with Alan Destex also in Paris, trying to get out of the hippocampus, learn all the stuff in sensory processing. And then I went to, uh, to New York, to NYU, to, um, to, to, to work with Yuri Bushaki. So yeah, that's my you know, personal story here. Uh, but I've heard that story so many times before. I've heard it in the context, the very old school context of someone walking into a lab and hearing a neuron pop. So they used to take single channel neural data from a single electrode and put it through, literally through a loudspeaker. And you could hear what that cell sounds like. I mean, it's not really sound, it's the electrical activity encoded as sound. And that excitement, though, of people hearing a neuron, thinking that's a single neuron in an animal firing, um, really compelled people. And so you contrast that to Adrian's story about now I'm seeing what probably at the time was 32 channels of data from a behaving animal. In that case, it was a sleeping animal. Um, you see that data and how compelling that can be to sort of look at that and say, that is neural data. That's what makes me me you know, as a thinking creature is that kind of activity, I think that can inform how we think about displaying and analyzing data going forward. You know, that distance between a loudspeaker with a single cell firing and what Adrian saw that day in the lab a couple decades ago, there's another step from that to what we can display and how excited we can get people about this data and help them analyze it. And I, li I like that notion from, from what I heard today about sort of the possibilities for data analysis and display. How did you get into system level neuroscience? We'd love to hear. That's it for Career Day, but come back next time for more probing questions when we talk about clinical applications.